So how do I have a really uh, difficult conversation with a direct report who maybe is not performing well? Uh, those types of conversations or situations are really difficult to come by in real life. And usually when we're when we do experience it, it's already high stakes enough that we don't want to mess up. And so providing these types of immersive experiences that can replicate the contextual cues and uh, really situation that we can then act upon and practice, I think is really ideal. Hello and welcome to the Making Better podcast, where we talk about making ourselves, our teams, and our organizations better. So whether you are a business owner, a manager, or a learning development professional, this show will give you actionable insights of how to improve your performance and the performance of those around you. Today, we are talking to Kristen Torrance, an immersive learning engineer who focuses on applying learning sciences, instructional design, and data science practices to design, instrument, and validate XR learning solutions. She co-founded XR in LXD, a meetup and community of practice for IDs and learning experience designers interested in designing XR, and she's an active member of the Immersive Learning Research Network. XR Women, and the IEEE Industry Consortium on Learning Engineering. Kristen and I met recently at a ATD Core 4 event, and I knew I had to have her on because she's been in this world of virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality for, for quite a while. And now that it's really, in my mind, coming to center stage, I, I knew we would have a lot to talk about, and it would bring a lot of value to any listeners who don't already know a lot about this stuff, who are kind of venturing into the mixed reality space, trying to kind of figure out um, what they should do, how to think about it for learning in their organization. Before we get into the conversation, I, I do want to remind you that if this is your first time listening, make sure to hit subscribe so that you never miss a future episode. And if you are already subscribed, I would just ask that you take a few moments to share this show with at least one other person because that is how we grow. It means so much to me. Now, let's get into the conversation. Kristen, welcome to the Making Better podcast. How are you doing this morning? Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm doing great. Excellent. I am really excited for this conversation. I think this is the second episode we've had uh, that largely revolves around the idea of VR, AR, mixed reality, all that kind of stuff. I am doubly excited for this conversation because I just got my Quest 3 headset. Um, this is the first time I've gotten a headset and I am just, I'm just having so much fun with it. So you've been in this world for a while now. How, how did you get into the world of virtual reality and what, what kind of holds you into it? Yeah. So I have always been interested in game-based learning. That is something that I worked in before working for uh, Tailspin, the virtual reality company that I work for right now. Uh, we were creating educational games for K-12, and I got to attend a bunch of these different educational game conferences, which really blew my mind to see what other technology is out there. And I had the opportunity to demo a virtual reality science game where we got to really just like pound different 
elements of the periodic table together or break apart different objects and see what those elements were. And for me, it sort of opened my mind to see like what's possible in the, in the realm of virtual reality and really providing learners a super experiential and visceral experience. And from that day on, I was like, I want to work in VR. <laughs> and so yeah. I had the opportunity to, um, to interview for a company, uh, the company that I'm at now as a learning experience designer and got to work on my first VR game or VR serious game or learning. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think that experiential element of it is so, is so neat. I, there's a particular one for Quest 3 that I'm really excited about for thinking about with my daughter, where they have a, a Lego game that where you're just like building Legos, like, but it's, it's in your house, right? Cause it's, you're, you're in your house and it's just like, you can build this big, like animated Lego environment. Um, I'm, I'm really, it's not out yet, but I'm really excited for it. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. And I have to say that I'm quite jealous because I do not have a quest three yet. Yeah. yeah. I'm still on the quest two. So I cannot wait to get my hands on the quest three. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And now, now, so, but now that being said, you know, I'm saying it's amazing and I think it is amazing, but I've never used one of these before. Really. I've had, I had one brief experience with a quest two that I wasn't super impressed with, but I think that was more the developers rather than, you know, like what we were, what the, the, the hardware itself. But for you, who's been kind of in this world for a while, could you give the listeners a sense of like, what, what is the current state of the technology? What do you see as things that, uh, and feel free to focus your answer on, if you want to focus on VR or mixed reality or whatever it is, what's kind of the current state of the technology? What do you see it as good at? And maybe what are still limitations? Yeah. Well, I will say that in terms of XR, you know, it's becoming more widely adopted, you know, in use cases like entertainment or gaming or even marketing, you can see both AR and VR being uh, widely adopted. But yeah. I think what's probably the most exciting for me is that it's becoming more prevalent in the learning and development space. Yeah. So either for creating CGI type training where, you know, different environments or machinery or objects and tools are being recreated to help with varied practice and uh, provide these experiences for learners, that, that sort of offering. But then there's also the, the offering where you can situate learners or other folks, maybe you're, you have a distributed team and you can all meet in an online meeting room or yeah. over a campfire, you know, so it's, it all is also providing the opportunity to, for connection and bringing people together and make them feel like they're physically together, even mm. though they may be distributed, mm. which is great. Yeah. Um, in terms of what it does well. So, you know, that, that brings us to presence and immersion. Um, mm -hmm. And most of, I would say most of my responses lean a little bit more on the virtual reality side, just because that's the, uh, the area that I sort of focus on. Um, but what what it does is, you know, really provide these visceral experiences. It really, you can situate learners in these really intense or highly emotional or uh, just unique situations where they need to practice and 
um, really help build and apply their skills. And I think that's what virtual reality um, and XR does really well. Um, where it's not quite there yet, I would say, is probably the aff affordability of XR headsets. Um, you know, it, it's not ubiquitous, right? There's still that uh, that challenge of getting these this hardware into the hands of everyone. Um, so that is definitely a challenge. Although I think there's still a lot of room for improvement for on the accessibility front, but there is, uh, but it's common to provide options like a desktop version option or a browser based sure, sure. option for yeah. folks who don't have access to the hardware or who um, are unable to have the headset on. on yeah. Yeah. I know a friend of mine was mentioning he was working with a company that kind of just for fun, probably, um, I think this was several months ago when we were at like peak metaverse, you know, froth and everybody was really excited <laughs> about it. And so they were, it was, it was a big, it was a, a big uh, manufacturing company that was holding a meeting with all their suppliers. And so they chose to have it in the metaverse. He didn't have a headset. And so, like you said, he just logged in through his computer and kind of got to experience that way. I do think that's what I'm most, one of the things that, is really exciting is the potential for like the some of the underlying there's differences in what the technology is there's like the experience and then there's how you experience it which mm -hmm. are can be two different things and they don't have they don't have to be tied together which is you know i think that's one of the things that in learning is so often a limitation is we make this great learning experience in this software and in order to experience it, you know, I, th I think that's one of the reasons why SCORM is still a thing. Like why, why as much as everybody complains about it, it's still so ubiquitous yeah. because it's a universal language versus so many apps that people make to probably create better learning experiences don't publish out in the same way, or you have to go to their app, their, create their login or whatever. Whereas this potentially these experiences can be more of a, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's code that you're accessing through a QR code, through your phone, through a yeah. laptop, through a headset, and you can kind of experience in a lot of different ways. So that th there, there is an accessibility piece. And, and then also to the point that you mentioned about price point, that's why I was so excited about the quest three. I mean, like vi the vision Apple pro is, is great. And I'm sure it's going to be amazing but it's $3,500, like, yeah. that, whoa. Not to say that $500 is cheap, but it's a lot cheaper than $3,500, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And so that that price point is probably the thing that excited me the most about the Quest 3, but we'll, we'll, see, where, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, well, and you know, I think the advances of like generative AI, what I'm really hoping is yeah. that that sort of applying that technology and other types of machine learning yes. would will not only like help folks get in the door of creating virtual reality experiences, but make the generation of virtual reality experiences yes. cheaper and probably provide more access to folks who don't have access to it right now. Because that was that was the other part of the price that I wanted to ask you about. You know, especially now if we have headsets that are at like a five hundred dollar price point from the point of view of of financial accessibility 
is where are we at in that creation piece? Because it seems like that's also been a limitation is that it, 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 cre- it takes a sizable investment mm-hmm. in just the creation of it. Does that, it, how, how is that coming down? How are you seeing that come down? Because, because correct me if I'm wrong, Tailspin, like kind of what you, a big part of what you have is a tool to create with. Is that right? Yeah, it definitely. So I would say like the, the original way of creating virtual reality is usually from the ground up. Everything is kind of bespoke. But I think where we've gone in the last couple of years and, you know, Tailspin being one of the companies that offers this is no code virtual reality yeah. experiences. Yeah. And I think that provides options for most people who do not have access to developers or or hiring, you know, multiple contractors to develop these Unity uh, generated experiences. It it provides access to those who are creating and makes it easier to bridge that sort of gap. Um, while also, you know, providing. So one of the things we also provide is an off the shelf content library. So we have experiences already created. So folks who do not you know, have a team to even develop can still implement virtual reality experiences at their company uh, by getting subscriptions from our content library. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's an awesome, awesome ability there, especially if it's built in with kind of the same technology. So you can kind of purchase it, but then you can tweak it. You know, it's templatized. It'll be exactly. it'll really open things up for folks. It's going to be mm-hmm. a whole new just a whole new realm for us to explore in terms of the creation process, which is so exciting. Um, you you kind of mentioned this, we kind of touched on this when we were talking about like, what are the pros and cons and strengths and weaknesses, but just straight from, from like a learning professional's perspective, if I'm thinking about this stuff, what do you, what are the times that you think, given where we're at right now, that I, as a learning professional, I'm a learning manager, I should be thinking like, this is a situation where I think XR is a good solution. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say, you know, it definitely depends on the use case and what that yep, use case exactly. could be is, you know, situations of either a varied practice or repeated practice, right? So let's say you're uh, operating heavy machinery and perhaps that machinery costs a lot of money to, and working on that, adds up for the business, right? The the purchase of the machine, the upkeep of the machine, maybe even like the site in which this machine is held. Um, So things that are high cost, things that are rare or um, machinery that is hard to come by um, or anything really high stakes, right? So, um, and that could be either uh, safety precautions on a warehouse floor, right? That sort of thing is very high stakes Um, or even high stakes conversations, right? So how do I have a really uh, difficult conversation with a direct report who maybe is not performing well? Uh, Those types of conversations or situations are really difficult to come by in real life. And usually when when we do experience it, it's already high stakes enough that we don't want to mess up. And yeah. so providing these types of immersive experiences that can replicate the contextual cues and uh, really situation that we can then act upon it and practice, I think is really ideal. Um, so really anything super visceral, anything that requires um, repeated practice and um, 
and also might be high cost. So yeah. I, I would definitely lean in that realm of like skill procedural type of yeah. development rather than anything sort of knowledge based, right? Because, you know, if we think about <laughs> designing for moda modalities, you know, it's a, as instructional designers, it's the thing that we think about all the time. We don't want to lean with the, with the technology. We yes. want to lean in and with the learning objectives. And if those are more on the, you know, knowledge type side, then the probably ideal to go a different route with the modality. So you're saying it's not a best practice to take the current hour-long lecture that I deliver <laughs> and just put it in the metaverse. That's that's not what we want. No, do. de definitely <laughs> not. Um, however, I will say that there are, maybe I can backtrack and say like, different types of knowledge could be very useful. Let's sure. take an AR application, for instance, and there is a machine that I need to operate, uh, but I just kind of want a refresher on what these buttons mean, and I can scan a QR code and see an overlay. That is yeah. information, of course, yes. right? And that is just-in-time information that can be delivered to us readily that is AR-based. Um, so there are some different types of use cases between AR and VR uh, that we yeah. might want to consider as well. Yeah, that that makes that all makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think back to the time when I was a pilot in the military, and it, they very much followed kind of what you were just saying of you know high cost, low frequency, high what was the word you used high um, high stakes. And, you know, so it was things that were uh, either situations that happened very rarely, you know, even things like doing a complicated instrument approach in the weather, you know, so these times where you're, you don't see the runway until you're 200 feet above the ground. And like, that doesn't actually happen, happen that often as a pilot and you want, but you need to practice it a lot. Mm -hmm. And so doing that in a simulator is perfect because you can just create the situation or, you know, things that are too dangerous, like engine fires and that, and that kind of stuff. Um, all perfect ways to use this kind of technology. Um, yeah, that 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 make all makes a lot of sense. So with all with all that, what are what are you the most excited about? You know, for for everything that it can do now, everything that you've seen, what are the biggest breakthroughs that you think are likely to happen soon that are really going to open this up to a wider audience? I think probably two things. Uh, one, maybe the two things are very different. The thing I'm excited about and then the thing to open okay. it up to a wider audience. Okay. But what I'm most excited about are the different types of data collection within these experiences. Mm, I think, yeah. you know, in terms of things like eye tracking or um, skin conductivity, point. you know, um, yes. there's there's so much we can think about in turn and learn about the types of experiences that we're creating, both about the experiences and how learners are perceiving it, um, like heart rate, you know, other types of biometrics that we can collect um, to either optimize our, to optimize our learning solutions. And I think that is for me, like the most exciting aspect of the, the emerging tech. Yes. Um, yeah. If I if I could pause on that to, to double click on it, because I think you are right, you know, and so for people who haven't dove into this technology a lot, you know, in because the whole goal of this technology, both with what Apple's doing and with what Meta's doing, is to try to make the 
system as seamless as possible. So for example, now with the Quest 3, it, it, with Quest 2, you had little um, things that you were holding in your hands. And that's how you interacted with the world with these two little controllers. Those controllers still exist with the Quest 3, but there is the option to do stuff without them, where it's watching where your hands are going and you can kind of pinch. And, and, and in order to enable all that, it's having all of these cameras that are tracking your body movement. And like you said, tracking your eyes to try to see with where your attention is going so that it knows kind of what you're trying to select. And it reminded me again, to bring back the pilot days years ago, the Israeli Air Force in their training aircraft actually put cameras that were facing the student pilot to look, see where they're looking. So it's like, hey, an emergency just happened. A problem just happened. If the instrument that you need to be looking at is on the left and your eyes are first looking to the right, then you don't know what to do. You're, you're, you're hunting for the answer. Maybe you find the answer eventually, but it's a signal that there is still some element missing for you. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, by the sheer fact that in order to make this technology possible, they're having to build in all these sensors, having to see all this stuff. That's a just a whole new level of data. I can I can see why you're really excited about that because that that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And even just right the, in your example, where you're looking in your eyes can definitely be per, it, indicators of your competency or yes. your proficiency with any sort of task. Yes. Um, also, just thinking about things like different biometrics, like heart rate, you know, can your heart, like, is your heart in a high stake situation, how stressed might you be, but how, like, how does that differ from like your response yeah. under, under that type of stress? And I think yeah. that is also very interesting, exciting space to explore. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So that's what you're excited about. What do you sound like you had another thing that you think is going to be able to open this up for folks? I, and we sort of touched on it before, but the Apple Vision Pro, I think okay. will be the turning point. And I don't, I'm just maybe I'm what I'm maybe just what I'm hoping, but I'm hoping yeah. for the iPhone revelation or revolution yes. to yes. happen for headsets. Yes. And I think with Apple sort of leading that charge, I think other companies and other headset makers will then, you know, try to compete. And I think that yeah. competition will eventually lead to not just innovation, but also more affordability within the space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, and for people, I, I'm excited for you to try out the Quest 3, because at least... So the first thing I did is there was this free game that came with the um, Quest 3 where these little like fur balls break into your house and you have to capture them with a little gun. And so you put that you put the headset on and you have to look around the room because it like scans and maps the room to figure out where the walls and the ceiling are and stuff. And then this this spaceship breaks through your ceiling and lands on your floor. And then these little fur balls start knocking on the door and breaking through the walls and it's and it's where the wall is, right? These holes in the wall are on your wall, oh, wow. and you can look through the holes into this alien landscape. It it feels so real that when the experience is over and you take the headset off, you you it's you're almost kind of for a second your brain's going, but where are the holes, right? Like it's it was it was so real, and yeah. So for the Apple, because I have to believe that Apple is gonna do it even better. Like it's yeah. going to be even more immersive. Um, 
Yeah, I can see why you're excited about that. I think you're right. And yeah, that I think, yeah, we're waiting for that iPhone moment. Mm -hmm. um, and surprising to me, it hasn't happened with Meta. Like Meta, all this stuff has come out now that, you know, Meta's, um, their revenue is down for their Metaverse stuff in the last quarter and things like that. I mean, it's early days, but but we'll see. So. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, I am definitely looking forward to getting my hands on both the Quest Three yeah. and yeah. hopefully one day. I, yeah. I don't know any time when, but hopefully one day, uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe in the Apple Store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> try try it out. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and for for anybody listening to, I also think it's interesting. I'll highlight just a neat Marcus Brownlee video that came out recently where he was talking about the spectrum from. Uh, AR goggles to AR glasses mm -hmm. and how they're kind of both on two ends of a spectrum that are racing towards one another. Whereas on the goggle front or on the headset front, they're racing to like shrink the technology down to, to get into a better form factor. And then on the glasses side, they have the form factor that I think everybody wants, but they just, but they need to figure out how to package the technology that they need for the experience that we want. And um, I don't know, it was, it was an interesting, it was an interesting take on that because it is, it is a spectrum that I think, and those two sides are kind of racing towards one another. Yeah. If we could shift gears now, because there's another kind of topic that I wanted to touch on with you, because I know you're, you're heavily involved in this at least to me, kind of new world of learning engineering. It was a phrase that I first heard very recently. Um, maybe some of the listeners had never have never even heard of it before. So, so what is learning engineering, and how are you involved in this idea of kind of creating what learning engineering is? Sure. So, learning engineering, I will say there it has been around for quite some time, but the definition yeah. has been evolving and developing. And I want to say that in either 2019 or 2020, uh, the industry consortium on learning engineering had developed a actual definition for what okay. it was, and it's defined as. Uh, Learning engineering is both a process and a practice that applies the learning sciences, human-centered engineering design methodologies, and data-informed decision-making to support learners. And what that means in terms of um, you know, how we might want to differentiate that from things like instructional design or user experience design, human-centered design, is that it is multidisciplinary. So it does include aspects, it draws on different aspects from that allow, from, from different disciplines that enable that type of process and practice work, right? So instructional design, um, it's still very, and learning engineering is still very much um, heavily focused on creating positive learning experiences, effective learning experiences for learners, not just um, in terms of individualized experiences, but holistic, right? Creating different environments for learners to thrive. Um, you know, pulling from things like human-centered design um, and engineering. Um, the reason why it's called learning engineering is because the way in which the term engineering is a, a, you know, applying natural sciences to the solving of problems. Mm -hmm. Learning engineers uh, apply learning sciences to the solving of learning problems and challenges. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's mm-hmm. where that terminology comes in. Um, in, in terms of human-centered design, it does take a- draw on aspects of, um, you know, creating personas, doing participatory design, and other types of human-centered design methods to design specifically for for learners. And then there's that data and instrumentation piece that is all informative of that learning design mm-hmm. um, and, and and efficacy, really. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you think about it so much like a practice because, you know, you know, similar to like, say, just instructional design, there's a recent post from Sarah Canistra who was talking about how, you know, you can have instructional design as a, a title. You can be an instructional mm-hmm. designer. Instructional design can be a practice. And, you know, it can be it can be a lot of different things. And I will admit, when I first heard uh, learning engineer, I was like, okay, like, is this, is this just another title? Like, is this, is this the next thing that we're going to do? We're no longer, we used to be like ISDs and then we're IDs. Now we're <laughs> learning engineers and we're just keep trying to prop it up. But it was a conversation with you that really swayed me the other way. Cause um, that not to think of it as, oh, okay, now we need to go hire some learning engineers because I think kind of the point you're making that I'm hearing is like, there aren't, there almost can't be. It's not like there, there's, there's not going to be the person that knows all this stuff. The idea is that it is a process to pull in all these multi, multidisciplinary people and fields and backgrounds in order to create the optimum experience. And really what it comes down to, like you were saying, is what's the starting point? It's the learning mm-hmm. sciences. It's the cognitive sciences that is what we're starting to, to solve these problems. And I know Last time we chatted, I mentioned a book that I cannot remember. I think there, there's a book that was really that's really central to this that helps oh. helps people define learning engineering. Oh yes, it's called the Learning Engineering Toolkit. Perfect. Okay. Yes, it was released. I want to say in 2021. Okay. Um, yeah, it was published uh, by editors or Jim Goodell and um, Janet. Kalodner. Um, it's available. I think it's um, published by Rootledge. Um, and it's a fantastic, fantastic toolkit. It's a it's a book and it could be read from start to finish, or you could just look take a look at the different chapters and take what you need. It's separated into both like theory and tools. And right. so I I reference it multiple times every week. It's my go-to. Excellent. Excellent. So that's a great one to pick it up. But also on top of that, you know, let's say you're, you're talking to a small learning team, you know, maybe there are one or two people or something like that. What are some ways they can get started with learning engineering or think about how to change maybe what would be the traditional way of delivering learning in an organization and start Mm -hmm. applying some of these principles? It's probably super specific to this is probably very situational, (laughs) but based on the people that you know and situations that you've seen, what do you think are some common things that people can do to start applying principles from learning engineering to improve talent development processes in an organization? Yeah. So I would say if you don't already have a background in learning sciences, I would say, you know, definitely do a refresher on Mm -hmm. that because that will really help you provide the foundation for why you're even making certain design decisions in the first place. And for, for me, um, you know, in, I think what was revolutionary, what revolutionary was identifying 
you know, I'm making this design decision and these are the assumptions that underlie that decision. And those assumptions are rooted in the learning sciences because they're the ways in which we know like what works for people and how they learn, right? Mm -hmm. That is still a hypothesis, right? That's a design assumption that we're making with this design decision. And that needs to be validated Mm -hmm. when this learning experience is then published with our target learners to make sure it's creating the most optimal outcomes that we are intending them to be. So like thinking about everything, it's almost like this is a hypothesis with this design decision. How am I going to then validate that this was a sound design decision after the fact, right? What metrics will I now build or plan to collect to then inform whether or not that design decision was sound? And so thinking about it almost like it might be just a mindset shift, but I think about everything as an experiment, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't actually know and everything can be evidence informed, but we don't know yet until we have the data to then validate whether our solutions are, are, are valid and promoting positive learning outcomes. And so, and knowing about the learning sciences, I think helps set the foundation for making sound design decisions. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I would agree with that, especially in a field like ours where many people, we, we come from so many different backgrounds. You know, people mm-hmm. fall into learning for all kinds of reasons, whether you're coming from the people space, you were a subject matter expert, you know, we, and, and it can be easy to kind of skip over that, that foundational knowledge. So I think that's a good, that's a really good, um, good catch, good call out. Yeah. Awesome. And I would, if I could add just one more, another Please. And I think this is something that we've we've seen increasing adoption about in in instructional design is having creating experiences that are more learner centered. And so I think in terms of where what you can pull practices you can pull from learning engineering, you know, what are some of those tools that you can use to then ensure that your designs are learner-centered, right? There's creating things like learner personas. There's um, engaging in focus groups to do co-design or participatory design. Um, There's user testing, right? Or like help doing some rapid prototyping. So pulling from those strategies and tactics, I think um, refining our, our designs that are informed by that data that we're collecting through engaging with learners, collecting data about how they're experiencing it or the types of experiences that they are helping us co-design or, or whatever they may, that may be, using that data to then inform learning. So yeah. definitely iterative. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, awesome. Okay, well, closing out here, like to end with a couple rapid fire questions a little bit and i know it's hard it can be hard especially i know you have a bookshelf there so you're you might be in a similar (laughs) position to me of struggling with this one but if you had to narrow it down what is one book or podcast that everyone should read or listen to and why extreme ownership by jocko willing and Lake babin it reframed my mindset about accountability. I would say it is hands down one of the best books any aspiring leader 
or team member can read. Yes. Couldn't. That's great. I love. Yes. Good. Good, good book. Yeah, that's a great one. Great mindset to have for sure. Excellent. Okay, thank you. Um, what skill has helped you be most successful in your life? Persistent effort. Um, and just to sort of elaborate on that, it's kind of like a motto in, in my household. Um, my husband and I, we always talk about how like your goal and success is inputs to outputs typically usually right and we it sounds kind of insane but we think about if you were to reach a goal there has to be like what inputs would you need to exert so that it's unreasonable for you not to succeed mm. that requires persistent effort mm-hmm. uh alex hermosi talks a lot about that i don't know if you know him but he's a he's a kind of a influencer of sorts in kind of the, the business, the small business space. And yeah, he, he talks a lot about that, especially with sales. Uh, it's mm-hmm. all, it's, it's, he says, it's, it's not about do success. Isn't about doing ex- extraordinary things. It's about doing the simple things for an unreasonable amount of time. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. That consistency. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So here's, if I could double click on that, do you have any way to differentiate between, cause I, I don't, I'm not saying I, I certainly don't, What's the difference between being persistent and being like thick-headed? You know, because because there is a level where you just I gotta say like, okay, this is enough. I gotta this isn't working or this is the wrong path. Do you do you have any any thoughts on that? I would probably approach that in and funny to kind of just pull from the learning as, aspect um, in a more like deliberate practice sort of way. And so. Okay analyzing what things are working and what what aren't and for the things that are working like double click on that and if there's any way to optimize or shift the things that are not working um like that's the area of growth right and so like i guess deliberate practice in putting in that persistent effort and just being really intentional about that type of effort that you're putting in Mm -hmm. and the work that you're doing and i think that needs to come with some level of reflection um, and awareness to to know whether or not you're just being stubborn or yeah. whether there there is that upward trajectory. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and kind of you know, kind of what I hear you saying is very similar to what you said about you know, learning design is you got to have some success criteria. You got to have a target. You got to have an end in mind. Um, before you, because it's really, it's, yeah, so that you can have a way to judge your, your actions and see if you're going in the right direction. That makes sense. What's the thing that you see most organizations get wrong or kind of undervalue regarding talent development? I feel like organizations tend to undervalue talent development in general in their empowerment of their employees in reaching success in the business. Mm-hmm. I feel like oftentimes we're overlooked because we're not technically revenue generating. Mm-hmm. While I think, you know, we help enable those revenue generators to mm-hmm. help the business. And sometimes that's a little bit hazy, but I do feel like sometimes it's under underappreciated or overlooked. Yeah. I could if there was if there's one thing that I could change in my life more than anything else, it would be kind of exactly around what you're saying of, you know, any org- in any organization, when you need talent, there are two ways to get that talent. You can hire them or you can develop them. 
And I feel, at least in my experience in the corporate world for um, almost about a decade now, we have so over-indexed on hire. It's just like been the one extreme side. And it, it might seem super relevant to me because the military is the reverse. Because like when you're a commander of a unit in the military, you have zero say of who shows up to your unit. You cannot go out and, and cherry pick recruits or find people. It's just people show up and you got to do what you got to do with them, right? You got to make it work. And so they are over indexed and invested in putting processes in place so that no matter who shows up, the unit will succeed. Um, and I think, you know, that that is an extreme. They're both extremes and finding a way to bring that a little bit together so that organizations see talent development is like, no, this is a key to our success. If, mm -hmm. if we could do one thing, if we devoted our whole lives to making that shift, I think it would be successful careers. Yeah. And I do think it is it is up to us and like having that growth mindset. It's up to us to help tell that story. 100%. 100%. Awesome. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for being here today. This was, this was a great conversation. I'm so glad we got to meet uh, a few months ago at, uh, at, at the ATD Core 4 conference, uh, and I'm certain we will stay in close touch. How it, any particular places people should, uh, people should follow you, reach out to you if they want to learn more about either yourself or Tailspin? Sure. I'm, I'm available on LinkedIn, Kristen Torrance, and also on Twitter, uh, Chris Torrance LXD. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you liked the discussion, make sure to hit like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. As a reminder, if your team is struggling keeping up with the training development demands of your organization, we want to help. Better Everyday Studios is a full service instructional design team that can help you with everything from ideation to actual content creation and delivery. Please reach out to us using the link in the episode notes below. Have a great day.